So last week we began this, this three-week series talking about loving like family. And we began last week uh, talking with that centerpiece, loving our family, actually loving our family like family. And we talked some about, we listened to Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus where he was talking with the church there saying, get rid of all the bitterness. Get rid of the bitterness and foster forgiveness. And I have to tell you, I heard some amazing stories this week from people in the church who did just that. And it's encouraging to me as I hear uh, one person is talking about a relationship that, that they repaired with their father. And amazing how God works through these things. And it's a testimony to me, and it reminds me of how God's work, if, or God's word, if we will live out God's word, life will be more full. And it's not going to be easy. I, I'm, I don't mean to, to mislead you. <laughs> Following God's word is not always easy. Sometimes it's really difficult. Sometimes it takes great courage. But it always leads to life more full. Life in its fullest sense. So it was encouraging to me. But this week, we're going to be talking some about the, that, so that first circle is loving our family like family. This week, we're going to be talking some about loving our church family like family. And as I've been studying this week and working through Colossians and, and thinking especially about church in terms of family, it's been good for me. God has been strengthening even my own understanding of how we are brothers and sisters. We are family in Christ. Regardless of whether we've been coming to this church for over a decade or if some of you are visiting for the first time, uh, we are family here because of Jesus. But I started, as I was thinking about this, also working through this question of what do we do? How do we stay close to family? How do we stay close to our church family when it's hard? When it's hard to be a part of the church family? Has anybody ever wrestled with that feeling? Anybody ever had that feeling where sometimes you just feel like, you know, maybe I'm just going to throw in the towel and just do something else on my Sundays? Or maybe you think, you know, maybe, maybe it's a different church that I need to find. You know, maybe this is just not the right place. Or, or maybe I'm going to watch church on TV on Sundays uh, and just do something different. Maybe it's something that someone has said to you. Or maybe it's something that someone's done to you. Or maybe it's the way things have changed and, or things you don't understand and and there are times, right, when we are tempted to, to walk away. Tempted to, to just leave the church family. Anybody felt like that at all? Maybe not in this church, right, but other churches you've been a part of, right? Anybody have felt that? I want to encourage you that you're not alone. I've felt that at times. Not right here, of course, not this church, but other churches. I've heard of other friends about the churches they go to. But. but I want to encourage you, you're not alone. In fact, as I read through the New Testament, <clears throat> I see time and time again, especially in Paul's letters to churches, where he's encouraging them to stick together. So many times, like if you read through the, the letter that Paul wrote to, to the church in Rome, or to the church in Philippi, or to the church in Ephesus, or to the church in Corinth, think how many times, or watch how many times you hear the words, love one another or be kind to one another or be gracious to one another. Paul encouraging the church to treat each other well. Or how many times he says in different letters where he talks about Jesus is the head and you are the body. You are united in Christ. There's no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. All are one in Christ Jesus. Think how many times you hear that sort of sentiment through the New Testament. Paul basically saying, stick together. Stick together. You're the church. 
You're the people of God. Stick together. Well, as, we, as I was talking about this morning, we're going to be reading from Colossians. And in Colossians, there was, there was tension there. I mean, if you read through the letter, you think, oh, this one actually sounds really nice. I'd like to read this one. This is really encouraging. But if you listen to some of the details, you'll see that there was something happening there, some sort of pressure that was, that was causing tension in the church. And so Paul responds to them by saying, therefore, as God's chosen people, oh, sorry, if you want to open your Bibles, thank you, I hear people rustling, <laughs> open your Bibles to Colossians 3, if you want, Colossians 3.12. Or also have it in your bulletins. This white sheet has the, the passage there too. Colossians 3.12 begins, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This morning we're going to focus just on that first bit. If you've, on your white sheet here, it's just the bolded part, but if you're looking in your Bibles, it's uh, verses 12 to 14. And this morning we're going to begin where Paul begins, with our identity in Jesus, with who we are because of Jesus, because of what he's done, because he is the Messiah. Paul says, you are chosen by God, God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That's who we are in Jesus. He doesn't say, if you want to be uh, chosen and holy. He doesn't say, if you want to be, or if you want to stay. He says, as you are already chosen, God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved. This is our identity in Jesus. And it's important for us to start here, before we get into how we live, about putting on patience and compassion and kindness, because sometimes in in church or religions, we can say it's about how hard we work. It's about us trying to be somebody we're not or trying to do something that's not natural to us. And, and there is some element to that. But when we start there, things go wrong. We either are really successful and become proud, maybe arrogant or self-righteous, or we fail. <laughs> Most of us fail. And we get down on ourselves. But when we start to look at it where Paul begins with our identity in Jesus... Rather than how we live, we begin with who we are in Jesus. That Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Messiah who's given us this new identity. That it's through Him, through His faithfulness. Not through our faithfulness, but through Jesus' faithfulness. That we are made into new creations. We are made into a new people. It's through Jesus that we are holy and chosen and loved. It's not by how well we follow rules. It's not well by how many things we sign up for in the church. It's by Jesus. It's by who he is that we are chosen, God's chosen people, holy and beloved. But it's interesting because the first thing, I mean, we're chosen. I mean, that's amazing. Chosen by God. 
Not because of something we've done, but because of Jesus, because of his faithfulness. But also, too, when we start to realize that not only are we chosen, but we are holy. We are made holy through Messiah. We are made holy through Jesus. It's not by the fact that we haven't been arrested in the last five years. Sorry, that doesn't make us holy. It's not by the fact that that we've paid our taxes in full for the last ten years. That doesn't make us holy. It's not by the fact that we're really nice citizens. We're great, upstanding citizens. That doesn't make us holy. It's not the fact that we're really nice people. Being nice isn't the same thing as holy. Even giving to charity doesn't make us holy. I'm sorry, but being nice and being holy are two different things. It's not by what we do. It's by Jesus, by his faithfulness. It's by the faithfulness of Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ, the anointed one. He gathered together all of what God had intended his people to do. What Israel could never do. As much as they tried, they failed again and again. And yet Jesus finally and faithfully did what none of us could do. He followed God. He followed God's way perfectly and then died on a cross for us. It was as if sin had been gathered together all in this one place at Jesus. All the things that separated us from God had been gathered together in this one place in Christ Jesus and dealt with on the cross. It's through his sacrifice the sacrifice for our sake that we are made right with God by God's grace. Not by something we've done, not by how hard we work or how nice we are, the fact that we pay our taxes on time, but by Jesus. That's how we're made right with God. That's how we are made holy. Now we can take hours to unpack this more. <laughs> but is it okay this morning if I just say just, just simply that we are made holy through believing into Jesus? by who he is and what he's done. Jesus is the one who makes us holy. And this is an important place for us to begin with our identity, who we are in Jesus, who we are in the Messiah, that we are chosen, that we are made holy, and get this, we are dearly loved. We are loved by God. It's interesting, I mean, I think about in John's Gospel when I said that uh, God so loved the world, so loved the whole cosmos, actually, in Greek, loved the whole universe so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes into this son would not perish, but have life eternal, life that went on forever, life more full. I mean, think about the sacrifice that God, our Father in heaven, has made, that he would send his own son. He would send his own son to die for us. I mean, how deeply our Father in Heaven loves us. Now, some of you might be thinking, I'm not sure like, how good a dad that is. I mean, he sends his son, right? Like, that seems horrible. But it's interesting, when you think about it, Jesus, not only was he sent, but he wanted to come as well. One night, actually the night before Jesus was arrested, he was talking with his disciples, and he said, no greater love has a man than this, or a person than this, that they would lay down their life for another. Jesus went there and he laid down his life. A few times in John's Gospel, he talks about, I don't, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord, by my own design. I'm being faithful to my Father in heaven. This is amazing love for us. Not only does the Father in heaven love us, but the Son, the Son of God, the Messiah, loves us too, that he would lay down his own life. 
It's amazing how deeply God loves us. When we start to understand that, it helps us then, when we have this identity that we are chosen and holy and loved, it helps us then to actually live out this faith that we're going to talk about in a minute. To live out being uh, kind and compassionate and humble and gentle and patient and forgiving and bearing with each other. These things happen because of our identity in Jesus. Is everybody with me? It begins with who we are. It begins with whose we are. That we belong to Jesus. And he's made us chosen and holy and loved. I say this because I want us to make sure that we're not trying to struggle to figure out how do we become nice and gentle people. But we're struggling to realize that this is who we are in Christ Jesus. You with me? Okay, so we've talked about who we are. We are chosen and holy and loved in Jesus. But how does this answer our question? How does this help with our question about what do I do about church, about the church family, when I don't really want to be a part of it, or I feel disconnected, or I feel like stepping away? And that's where Paul says, he talks to the church and he says, he says, put on compassion, put on kindness, put on humility, put on gentleness. Put on patience. And you think about it, this is counterintuitive to the way we work. You know, when we're hurt, I mean, I know this from my own life, when I'm hurt or wounded, my tendency is to step away. I see this in most of us. When we're hurt, we tend to step away, to withdraw a bit. Paul's saying, actually take a step forward. Take a step closer. It's counterintuitive. It's the opposite of what we think we ought to do or what we feel like we want to do. Paul says, I hear him saying, I hear him saying, put on, put on compassion, tender-hearted compassion, the sort of compassion that you see someone whose heart are broken and you sit down next to them. You sit with them quietly and gently. You encourage them and pray with them. You don't try and fix them. You just identify with where that or do your best to identify with the pain that they're feeling. I hear Paul saying, put on compassion, but I also hear him say, put on kindness. The kind of kindness that shows up for people. That shows up to help not only our family, not only our family, our church family, but also our community, our friends and our neighbors. Put on kindness. I hear him say, put on humility. A sort of humility that listens for a long time. That listens to learn, even when we think or we feel like we're supposed to have all the answers and we're always supposed to, to know what to say. Humility allows us to listen, to learn from others. Maybe even people who we think that, that we have no business learning from or no business teaching us. Humility allows us to listen, to accept each other. I hear Paul saying not only to put on humility, to put on gentleness too. The kind of gentleness that draws people out. You probably know what I'm talking about. Like There's certain people you can talk to and you feel like, well, I don't want to share anything personal with them or I don't feel sick. I can talk with them about the weather, I can talk with them about all sorts of things, but I'm not going to share it myself. But then you also know people who draw it out of you. People who are gentle. People who draw the, the things out of you, draw who you really are. I hear Paul saying, be gentle with each other. Be safe with each other. That people can be themselves around you that we can be ourselves around each other. I hear Paul saying, be gentle. 
And I hear him saying, be patient. Be patient with one another. Patiently wait with humility, with kindness, with compassion. I hear Paul saying, being patient with each other. So Paul says, begins by saying, put on all of these things. Put on compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I hear Paul saying also that we should bear with one another. Bear with one another and forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven us. I want to focus real quick on the bear with part. Because sometimes that can be like, put up with each other. (laughs) And to be honest, there's part of that in family, right? When we feel that in our own families, like in our family family, right? It seems like maybe reasonable that we should maybe expect to do some of that in our church family too. I hear Paul saying, bear with one another. That's one of the things I love about the covenant, about the covenant church whether it's the covenant here in Balfour or covenant in, uh, across Canada or U.S. or around the world, is that we value bearing with each other. We value accepting each other where we're at right now, even if we may not agree on things. Maybe we don't agree on particular parts of theology, or maybe we don't agree on, on how things are happening or going in the church. Yet we bear with one another. We accept each other where we are right now. And I'm careful to say that. We accept each other where we are right now because our hope is that that we would all be growing in our understanding of who Jesus is. That we'd all be growing in our understanding of our faith and who God has called us to be. Now, this is not to say, because sometimes we'll say, like, as covenanters, we we focus on the main things or or that we agree to disagree. And sometimes people get uh, uh, anxious about that because they think, well, maybe everything's up for grabs then. And that's not what we say as covenanters. As people that come to church, there are certain things that are central. Like God, our Father in Heaven, who created all things. That's central for us. That Jesus is the Son of God. That He lived and died and rose again. And because of Him, we are forgiven and have new life. That is central for us. The fact that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, gives us new life and comforts and encourages That is central for us. But there are other things that we still talk about as we listen to faithful followers of Jesus through the centuries as they have different ideas maybe about baptism or different ideas about end times or different ideas about women pastors. These are places where we accept each other as we are right now. Where we are gracious with each other and we bear with one another. It's one of the things I love about who we are as a covenant church. But there's also this thing too is that I wanted to, to mention, it's about a year ago that we, that we adopted our relational covenant. Many of you have this in your bulletin. Um, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing, though I'm tempted, but um, this is just like our word of how, our promise to each other, how we're going to treat each other as a church. It says, you know, on the front page here, just in the yellow, it says, we will treat one another with humility and love. We speak honestly, courageously, and with love. We accept conflict as normal and natural, like any family would. We forgive one another, and we work to reconcile our differences. I don't know if maybe you're catching or seeing some of these themes that we've been talking about. Our relational covenant comes from Colossians, uh, chapter 3, verse 12 to 17. You can see the references if you open it up. There's more in here. But this is something that we have written together and adopted as a church. 
of how we will treat each other. Now, some of you who are maybe here visiting today, you're thinking like, wow, what's going on? Are, things, you know, are they having trouble? And you know, this is not, this document, this promise that we've made doesn't come out of trouble for us. It comes, I think, actually out of health, out of us being a healthy family. That as a family, because of our love for each other, we wanted to have the discussion of how we will treat each other when things are going well. So that when we do have differences, whether it's theological or, theologi- or differences on the church, that we are gracious with each other. That we bear with one another. Sometimes that we put up with each other. So this was actually was written. I encourage you to read it this week. It doesn't take long. Uh, but take home. And I mean, it's, it's written for us, for our church. You can imagine, if you start reading, you can see how it might be helpful even in a family of how you treat each other. Or maybe just personally, like your own like, sort of code of how you treat people generally. I mean, it comes out of Colossians. It's the word of God speaking to us on how to treat each other. So Paul says, he says, bear with one another and to forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you. But then he says this one thing. He says, above all of these things, put on love, which will bind you together in perfect unity. Above all of these things, put on love. If we want to think about or to maybe figure out this question, how do we stay connected to our church family? How do we love our church family even when it's hard? It comes down to this, of putting on love. And I'm not saying fake the love. I'm saying realize that we are chosen and holy and loved in Jesus and then out of that love. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not just saying work harder to be someone, to try to be someone different, maybe even be someone you're not. I'm saying be who Christ has made you. When we start realizing how deeply we are loved and chosen in God, I guarantee you we will be gracious with each other. The more we realize that we are forgiven and chosen and loved and holy because of Jesus, the more gracious we will be with each other, the more that we will be kind with one another, the more compassionate we will be, the more gentle we will be, the more patient we will be. I'm saying this to encourage us because there are times, I know, and if you're not in this place right now, there will probably be a time when you're feeling, man, I'm not sure how I want to stay connected to this family because it's hard. Then remember these words. That we are chosen and holy and loved in Christ. And it's out of this identity that we're able to then to be kind and compassionate and gentle and humble and patient. To bear with each other and to forgive. Above all these things, putting on love. Okay, so are you with me? You're seeing how this comes out of our identity. Who we are because of Jesus and what he's done. You're catching that part. That we are chosen and holy and loved because of Jesus. You got that part. And then because of our identity, because of who we are, that's how we begin to live out this faith. That's how we begin to, to, be, to put on kindness. It's out of our identity in Jesus, out of who we are in Christ, that we're able to put on compassion or humility or gentleness or patience. Everybody's with me? Some of you might be thinking, okay, so I see how this works out. I see what you're calling us to do or what Paul is calling us to do, what the Word of God is calling us to do. How do I live this out this week? Like, what are some things I can do this afternoon or tomorrow to begin living this out? Well, this week I want you to do just one thing. Just, Just one thing. 
That is, bless someone in this church family this week. To just bless them. I was actually, uh, I've kind of heard some of this uh, from a pastor named Michael Frost, uh, pastor and professor, lives in Australia. And he encourages his church to do similar things. He says, bless people. And he has just three suggestions. One is, bless people by encouraging them. I mean, I love it when I see you, when I see you as a church involved in things, when I talk with some of you, I hear about some of your hobbies or the ways that you, that you are um, cultivating God's kingdom in our community or blessing others. And I get that chance to encourage you. I get the chance. I, God has been working this in me and I've felt it in my own life. If people just say, Jason, you're doing great at that. Like how encouraging that is. And I see it in your lives. And I try to be mindful of it. When I see you uh, following God faithfully or blessing others, I, want, I try to say, like, bless you. I'm encouraged by, by what you're doing and I want to encourage you in it. Or maybe it's something, maybe it's not so much noticing something that someone is, is good at or doing well. Maybe it's realizing that someone is hurting. Someone's heart is broken. And you sit next to them and you pray with them and you encourage them. See, the thing is, encouragement doesn't cost us a dime. It's cheap. We can encourage people for free. And it's amazing how powerful it is in our lives. It's amazing how powerful it is in your families. I mean, I, talk, I, I can tell you stories of times when, when I've seen my boys doing something well. And I say, Corbin, I'm so proud of you. You've done that so well. I just see his face light up. It's way more powerful than all the hundreds of times I've told them to stop doing something. <laughs> Encouragement is cheap and it is so powerful in each other's lives. It's so powerful in the family of this church. So that's the first thing. is uh, Bless someone this week. Maybe find someone you can encourage. The second thing is, is serve. Serve someone. Just be mindful, thoughtful of... The, our church family, of things that are happening. Maybe people's lives, you know, you know, like maybe they need help with their home. Or maybe they need help with their car. Just show up and help. Just show up and serve them. And this is one thing I love about the guys of this church. Men, I, I can, there's hundreds of stories I know of where you guys just show up and help. I think about how Gar shows up at people's houses in, in Lakeshore Place and just helps. I think about Rick showing up at Bernie's house to help her with frozen pipes. I think about Jerry and Jean-Anne bringing compost, donating a bunch of compost to the garden. I think about the ways that this church loves each other and shows up to help. So we just show up and we help. We serve each other. That's another way to bless people. So the first thing is to give a word of encouragement the second thing is to serve each other. The third thing is, is give a gift. Bless someone with a gift. And I can tell you, it doesn't have to be elaborate. It helps. It's great when it's thoughtful. Just this last week, I was hoping he was going to be here today, but, uh, but Mark Hamilton, Brenda and, and Bill's son, Mark, um, we started buying eggs from them. And so we got to their house and... Um, picked up the eggs and stuff and Mark kind of gets this little smile on his face he goes come here I'd like to give you something 
And so he took me out to their deck, and he has all these amazing tomato plants growing on their deck that they grew in their greenhouse. He said, I'd like to give you a tomato plant. Which one would you like? Because he heard that I'd killed all of our little <laughs> seeds. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. Daddy fail. <laughs> the boys were distraught. All their tomatoes were dead. <laughs> but um, but uh, I was so grateful. And actually he said, you can see how excited we were. So he said, well, pick two. Pick two. And I remember holding these two tomato plants and just thinking like, man, I can't wait until Tracy and I have a garden that we can bless people with generosity like this. I mean, it was the tiniest gift, but it meant so much to us. It was an amazing blessing. And I know this is like, uh, many of you, like this is exactly who you are. This is right up your alley. To bless someone with a gift this week. To bless someone from this family, this church family. At least one person of this church family with a gift. So I'm saying do one thing this week. I know I talked a little bit about it, just, just to give you ideas. Maybe to encourage someone. Uh, to Maybe to serve someone, just to show up and help them. Or maybe to bless them with a gift, a thoughtful thing like a tomato plant to someone who has a tendency to kill them. <laughs> Imagine what this begins to look like in our church. Or more of this, because you guys already do this some. But imagine what could happen this week as we begin blessing this church family this week. Imagine how great it will be to receive some gift. Or imagine how great it would be actually to, to give a gift to someone and see their face light, light up like mine did when I was holding those two tomato plants. Imagine how amazing that is. Think about how powerful that is when it begins to knit us together like a church family. Not just like a pe- bunch of people who gather together on Sunday under the same God, but like a church family. Imagine how powerful that is. Imagine as that begins to overflow out of us and into our community. The people see it in us. Not only that, but we want to bless them. We've, been, we've received blessings from each other and we've been blessing each other and our neighbor shows up and we just like, here, here's a tomato plant. We want to bless them. Now I know some of you might, maybe some of you are thinking, you know, like, come on, Jason, like, one blessing? Like, what's that going to do? But imagine this room, this room filled with people blessing each other. It reminds me of a story that Jesus once told. He said, he said that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's the tiniest of seeds, yet when it's planted in the soil, it becomes the largest of garden plants. And all the birds of the air, they take refuge in it and they build their nest there. Blessing people, blessing people of this church family is like a garden, is like a mustard seed. Just start planting those things. Just start sowing seeds wildly with each other. And you'll see how it will begin to, to overflow. How we, this church, will be knit together, come closer together as a church family but also will be even more of a blessing to our community. So I want to just kind of bring it all back together. So this morning we talked, we started with this question, how do we love this church family? How do we step closer when it's hard? Well, let me say it begins with our identity in Jesus. It begins with him, that he, because of who he is, because of his faithfulness, because he is the Messiah, that we are chosen and holy and loved. And then out of that, then we go and we are compassionate. We put on compassion with people and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another, forgiving each other just as the Lord has forgiven us. But above all these things, above all these virtues, putting on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And do one thing this week. Bless someone of the church family this week. Amen.